whatever your heart desires. Uh, all right. Let me stretch. Do some vocal exercises. <laughs> Why do we always do this? We literally always <laughs> go, okay. And we're like, okay, I'm ready whenever you're ready. I hit record and then we go, okay. Ugh. Well, you just you have to be, you have to be like mentally there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Mentally. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> ready? No. Hey, everybody. I'm Chase. And I'm Chloe. Welcome back to Back to the Pilot. On today's episode, we dive into the wonderful world of good old-fashioned comic book vigilantism as we take a closer look at Arrow and Daredevil. So be sure to conceal your true identities as we take you back to the pilot. Do you want to... You're going first. Am I going first or you going first? I'm going first. Oh my god. How many times do we have to go over this? What did we do last time and I went first? Last time we did SNL and Who's Line. Oh, and I did first. Okay. Sorry, Jesus. Mary yeah, and Joseph. Remember I'm you did your whole intro and you were like not live from the comfort of our own homes. It's back mm-hmm. to the pilot. I do that remember that. was good. That. Can you go? What are you doing yeah. this week? <clears throat> uh, this week, I am covering Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tell me, Chloe, what do you know about Arrow? Um, my roommate used to watch it in college, so I had seen, like, episodes here and there. Uh, I didn't know really anything about the Arrowverse until you told me to watch Flash, and then I learned about the Arrowverse that way, but I've Mm -hmm. really only ever watched a few episodes with my roommate and then the pilot episode for this. Um, had you seen the pilot before, or was this the first time? I think I had. I, I remember it. I feel like I had seen it either with my roommate or because I was watching The Flash and you were like, you should give Arrow a try. And then I watched the pilot episode. I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't like The Flash. This isn't like The Flash at all. Yeah, I, I, I guess the Arrowverse is probably like the biggest thing about that, right? Like, uh, like I guess I should say what I knew about it. I knew quite a bit, right? I, I watched the show. I've watched it start to finish. Um uh, I, I enjoyed it I've a lot as the a whole. Actors, you know, but um, I knew I knew the creator already. I knew uh, I knew that it was based off of a DC Comics superhero, same uh, similar name, not the same name. Um, but and most importantly, I know that it sparked or started the Arrowverse, which is a conglomerate of TV shows uh, run by the CW. There you go. Um, all involving DC Comics uh, heroes and villains, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so anyways, a uh, little summary. The title of the episode is Pilot, uh, as all good pilots are. Uh, and the release date was on October 10th, 2012, um, which is one of the more recent as far as episodes we've done or shows we've done. Yeah, um, what is, I'm trying to think of what the most recent would have been. Oh, uh, we did. Uh, oh, we did the, it would be we uh, did, uh, LA to Vegas, right? LA to Vegas, right, which yeah, is 2018. Be, yeah. Um, and uh, it released on the CW network, mm-hmm. and you can watch the show on Netflix with a subscription, no ads, and it's available for purchase on all video playback sources such as YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, Prime Video, and so on. Wow, that was a smart way to word that. Okay, what, what do you mean? That. We've never we've never said video playback sources. That was just a smart way to word that. Oh well, you're welcome. Feel free I'm to use idiot, it anytime. Okay? I'm yeah. <laughs> Wording things, I get so <laughs> every time we record one of these, I'm like, mm. I never comment on it. I felt like commenting on it this time. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, anyways, so the synopsis for the show is as follows Spoiled billionaire playboy Oliver Queen is missing and presumed dead when his yacht is lost at sea. He returns five years later, a changed man, determined to clean up the city as a hooded vigilante armed with a bow. And then the synopsis for the episode is. 
billionaire playboy Oliver Queen has been considered dead for five years. Now he has returned, but something during those five years has changed him into a mysterious green-hooded archer. Uh, finally, it was created by uh, Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, and Andrew Kreisberg. So three different creators. Wow, that's kind of crazy. So uh, a lot to cover on those creators. And unlike in the past, I actually found a lot of information on the on these they, people. Like a drastic <laughs> difference from what you usually have, which is one creator and no information. Exactly. I know, right? It's it's great. It's finally I finally get to show off my abilities in, to research ability things. to research um, or lack thereof, because now I've given away that there's a lot of information on them. True, but that's okay. Um. Anyways. So uh, we'll start with Greg Berlanti. He's kind of the uh, the head creator, the biggest, the biggest of the biggest cheeses. The main man. Um, the, main. the biggest cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, he was born in New York in 1972, and he graduated from Northwestern University in 1994. And he began his career uh, at the age of 26 on Dawson's Creek. You know that show, Dawson's Creek? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Was I supposed to respond to that? Um, I, don't know. I was trying Just to not water. interrupt you as much because I feel like I interrupt you a lot when you're giving your information. No, and then I cut out, end up cutting out a lot. I guess I just kind of expected at this point. So <laughs> I know, but I've, whatever. I'm trying to not cut you off as much. Yes, I know Dawson's Creek. I don't think I ever really watched it. Uh, yeah, I, I've never watched it either, but um, I I do know that it's a it was a fairly popular show. Uh, but he he began as a writer, as a staff writer on Dawson's Creek. But he uh, actually really f quickly rose through the ranks. He went from staff writer to executive producer. And by the time he was 28, when the showrunner at the time, Kevin Williamson, stepped away from the show, he took he was promoted to showrunner. Jeez, bro! So he was 26 when he started. He must have been one of the youngest showrunners at the time. Oh, he must have been. Well, and then Greg Berlanti would go on to like he would break so much ground in just in general so he um like under his direction on, on dawson's creek uh the show became the first on u.s network television to feature a same-sex kiss between two men oh so that's big that is big um and then he would uh he would do a lot of stuff but he also did in 2007 he executive produced dirty sexy money uh, which only aired for two seasons, but it was the first show to feature a recurring transgender character. Hmm. Wow, this guy's breaking down barriers of all types. So he uh, he was definitely uh, very influential as far as um, uh, the LGBTQ community goes in yep. uh, TV shows. Um, uh, but shortly after uh, his run with Dawson's Creek, he founded berlanti productions or at the time it was Ber berlanti liddell productions with uh his partner mickey liddell um that was formed in the year 2000 but liddell left in 2006 so the name changed to berlanti productions and he all, all of his productions would become would be under that production company name under got berlanti it. productions got it he would go on to create some series uh, two drama series for warner brothers called everwood and jack and bobby um, by the age of 32, he directed his first feature film, The uh, the Broken Hearts Club, a romantic comedy. Um, and in uh, 2006, he produced and wrote Brothers and Sisters for ABC, which aired for five seasons. 
uh, and actually featured the first same-sex legal marriage on network television. Good Lord, he's just crushing it with this stuff. Um, and then in 2010, he directed the film Life as We Know It. Oh, with uh, Josh Duhamel and... Yes. I don't remember who the woman is in that. I want to um, say it's... It's not Catherine Heigl, is it? Oh, no, it is, it is Catherine Heigl. It is Catherine Heigl? Hmm. I, I, I didn't write it down, but I do remember seeing her name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the last thing he did sort of leading up to the creation of Arrow was that he co-wrote and co-produced the 2011 film Green Lantern starring Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> which is which I felt the need to say because... Uh, it's another superhero thing? Well, it's a DC superhero, more specifically. So, mm-hmm. was, like, in 2011, he was involved with this huge DC Comics movie. Um, yeah, and went, would go on the next year to create a help DC. create a DC TV show. I mean, literally sparked the creation of all like, yeah, of a huge DC universe. For right. television. And 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 we will uh, we will get to that. But first, uh, I want to give some background on his main man, Mark Guggenheim. Mm. Uh, he was born in New York in 1970, and he attended the University at Albany. Um, and interesting fact: both of his brothers are also screenwriters. Mm. So uh, a whole uh, family, whole family, of, family of smart people. <laughs> but he that's like a he crazy uh, thing like especially for screenwriting. Like I get yeah, everyone I know, going right? into like, the film industry, but like for screenwriting specifically, I guess they're all just really smart with that. Just runs in the family, I guess. Anyway, so I think uh, when he was in college, he uh, served spent some time as an intern at Marvel, um, being a colorist and a and a writer. Um, and then he also achieved some writing experience on comic books such as Aquaman, Wolverine, The Punisher, Perfect Dark Zero, and Blade. Um, but then he went on to work as a lawyer in Boston for five years while doing some part-time writing. Um, and then he, during that time, he wrote a rom-com script, uh, which garnered a bunch of attention from producers uh, and actually led to a few meetings and inspired him to move out to California and pursue his, uh, pursue a career in, um, uh, pursue a career in screenwriting that is. Mm, okay. Uh, and his first produced work was a script for the practice, uh, which was, a I think it was a movie. No, maybe a TV show. The practice. I think that's one that we talked about. I think it's about a law firm. It is, it is about it's a law a, firm. It's a show about a law firm. Yeah. We talked about that. A few episodes ago, because the creator of one of the shows I did did something with the practice, the show, the practice. Oh, interesting! I, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. I um, never forget. But that was his first produced work was 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 a script that he did for an episode of the practice. I'm guessing, and then he also would uh, go on to serve as producer for Law and Order, Jack and Bobby, which I'm assuming is where he met uh, Greg Berlanti, mm-hmm. uh, CSI Miami, and Injustice, which is two words, not one word. I just felt the need to um, clarify. That's fair. Uh, But then he would eventually become the executive producer of No Ordinary Family, which was about a family of people who were initially ordinary and then achieved superpowers. I think it ran for like one season and then was canceled. I've never even heard of that. What was that on? I watched it when it came out because I was very interested by the concept. concept It was on ABC. Oh, okay. Um, And then in 2006, he took over writing for the Flash comic books. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and in 2007, he became a member of the rotating team of writers on The Amazing Spider-Man, as well as uh, did some comic book experience. He wrote a comic book. Uh, he wrote the comic book Young X-Men, 
Uh, he worked on a comic with Hugh Jackman in Virgin Comics called Nowhere Man. Um, he worked on a comic called Super Zombies for Dynamite Entertainment and Stephen King. Uh, and then he wrote the script for the 2009 video game X-Men Origins Wolverine based on the movie of the same name. Oh, wow. This guy's got so a lot had, of superhero comic yeah, so he had a lot of like, comic book writing experience. Uh, Greg Berlanti had a lot of production experience. Uh, and lastly, uh, Andrew Kreisberg, who I couldn't find a ton of information about his career. Um, all I could find, well, so he was born in 1971. So they're all like the same age. And he mm-hmm. attended Boston University uh, at the in, under their College of Communication. And then... Um, Prior to working on the, the live-action Arrow show, uh, he spent some time writing for the Green Arrow and Black Canary comic book series. Oh, the comic book series. I was like, the Green Arrow? That is it's called, Arrow. It's called the Green Arrow and Black, and Black Canary. Got you. That's what got the you. comic book series is called. Got you, got you. <clears throat> so that's, that's uh, the kind of three creators summed up. They, um, obviously, Greg Berlanti had the production experience and Mark Guggenheim... Uh, had some production experience, but a good amount of comic book experience, uh, especially with both Marvel and DC. So mm-hmm. uh, a really good uh, background there. And Kreisberg had experience directly with the Green Arrow comic books or the character uh, specifically, um, yeah. which uh, does bring me to the origin of the Green Arrow uh, in the comic books, that is. And the character himself was created by Mort Weisinger, um, and his first appearance was in More Fun Comics, issue number 73, which released in November 1941. So very okay. old. Yeah. Uh, and he would eventually become, the, the character, Green Arrow, would eventually become the cover feature for More Fun Comics. Um, but over the course of, like, the next 25 years, it would never really go on to, uh, like, achieve any greater popularity so Mm -hmm. the cover of more fun comics was kind of the the biggest thing at the time for green arrow and um throughout the late 1900s the character was re-inspired and reimagined a few times Mm -hmm. um there was even a time where uh the green arrow's son took over um, but then he wasn't very popular so they brought oliver queen back to be the green arrow got you Um, and then the the first live action appearance for the character was on the show Smallville, which followed the origins of Clark Kent. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, which I didn't know that either. And then, uh, so, and that, that is actually a really good transition to the conception of the idea for the arrow, mm-hmm. uh, because the show was actually, um, discussed like the idea for the show, a show around the, a Green Arrow character was mm-hmm. discussed during the sixth season of Smallville. They were originally wanted to cre- wanting to create a spinoff series of that character, um, but the actor who portrayed him at the time, uh, I think it was Justin Hatley, if I'm remembering correctly. No idea. Um, he uh, he was he refused to uh, entertain the idea. He was he was not he was not interested in. He didn't want to have um, his own show. Well, he didn't want to... It seems I mean, really weird that, for an actor, I'm not going to lie. Well, it says that he felt that it would be too much, and he wanted to respect what Smallville, the show, had done and was able to accomplish already. I mean, I guess, but like that's just weird. Like As an actor, it's kind of a dream to have your own show. 
so that's really that's just odd I know, to me. Right? Like, that's just, like that, just that's like thing. that's like a network offering you a show, your own show to be the lead of, and you being like, "Nah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good I, being I, a I secondary character. That's weird." And well, well it probably wouldn't have been as successful, so it's fine. We're good. According to him, according to Justin Hartley, the uh, like talking was as far as the spinoff idea ever got. But uh, like when I read further about it, apparently the show actually made it into early development, and um, oh wow. It was originally supposed to have been helmed by Stephen S. DeKnight, who would go on to be the showrunner of your show. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I thought, was, so I thought that, that was very interesting. A good crossover there. Thanks for spoiling something about my information. <laughs> it's kidding. one It's one guy. He's the creator. Calm your tits. It's not the creator. Um, we'll get into that. Well, he's showrunner. Okay. Shut up. Just go. Continue. We're talking about your show right now. Anyways, so after Smallville ended... There was still a talk to wanting to do a Green Arrow show, mm -hmm. um, and they had actually decided to do one, uh, and the pilot was ordered a week after, like a, mm. literally a week later. Wow. The series was announced. So, like, the series was announced, and then a week later, a pilot was ordered. Okay. And this was in January of 2012, so the yeah. same year that it would eventually come out. Um, but uh, then during the development of the series, it was Mark Guggenheim who uh, expressed that they wanted the creative team to have their own uh, direction and didn't want to have any direct connections to Smallville. Gotcha. Um, so he suggested slash um, uh, pushed for the idea of hiring an entirely new actor. Um, and that's where Stephen Amell comes in. And by the end of January, um, Amell was cast as Oliver Queen. He was the, one of the first to do so. He was one of the first to audition, rather. Mm -hmm. um, and like Andrew Kreisberg felt that he had hit the target like instantly and <laughs> literally Good everyone wording. else. Well, that was his wording, not mine. Um, but and everyone else just failed in comparison. I, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to move past. It. Okay, fine. <laughs> Women can't be funny. No, you can't be funny. True. That's actually a fact. <laughs> That's, yeah, it is different. Oh, I'm out of coffee. Sad. Okay, continue. That is sad. Did you know that um, Stephen Amell is best friends with <laughs> I was going to make that joke, but then you made it first. Oh, uh, yes. I have, to, I have to shit on me before you can. Um, uh, one of the things that made Amell like a really good option for the role was that he was actually already in shape from doing a role with Rent-A-Goalie, which was a show about um, a goalie in... Uh, or a service called Rent a Goalie in hockey, or in Canada. What? <laughs> it was it was a show about it was a I, TV show. Yeah, no, I get that. It's just a weird. I, I don't really. I didn't read too much about it, but I just yeah. thought it was very. Interesting. Doesn't so sound it, it like you need to. Place in Canada, and it was about um, like athletes, like goalies, and they would you rent a goalie from this place, I guess. Interesting. Um, but then prior to his role in Arrow, he also did some physical fitness training. Um, and and received uh, archery training, and one of those things, um, one of the things that he was required to do during his archery training, uh, prior to actually touching a bow, was he had to watch a video which explained how archery had been inaccurately portrayed in film and television. Oh, um, interesting. And in the past, and so uh, one of the things that they that they took to heart in this show was making sure that the archery was portrayed accurately, which I thought was very interesting, and so. Um, uh, definitely a good touch for um, realism, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so uh, the the I think the only other main character who's worth mentioning 
um, as far as casting goes, is uh, Katie Cassidy was cast as Dinah Laurel Lance, um, and she was cast a month later in February of 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing is that in the comics, Laurel Lance is a vigilante by the name of Black Canary, who's a um, like a, a, a typical ally for uh, the Green Arrow. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of where the character comes from. Um, and then some Should additional casting. Go on casting. to become that, or no? In the show, um, spoilers. What? Oh, okay. Uh, hello. Much. I mean, some people might want to watch this show, Chloe. Okay, yeah, but if, I feel like that's a yes. She becomes that. <laughs> she does. <laughs> how can this truly be a spoiler? The show is like what seven seasons long? Eight, eight seasons. seasons long. Eight seasons long, and it's over now. That's not a spoiler anymore. You're just behind. I mean, it's kind of a spoiler. It only ended one year ago. It's you're behind. <laughs> you're behind. Well, you haven't watched it either. Yeah, except for I should have known that she becomes that because I'm sure in you would have already one of the, you one of the crossovers. Yeah, from, with the Flash at some. Point. I just don't remember. Like, I, yeah. Anyway, go on. Oh, sorry, I'm drinking coffee. Yeah. Anyways, you slurp on that coffee. So um. Uh. Much. The last two. The last two roles to be cast were Colin Donnell as Tommy Merlin. And or not the last two roles, but the last important ones that I wanted to mention, and David Ramsey as John Diggle. Um, and David Ramsey was a real fan of that because that character, John Diggle, was not a um, comic book character, so he didn't feel like he had to live up to anything. He, he felt oh, he felt you. comfortable in being able to be himself in that, or not maybe be himself, but uh, play a role without having to worry about um, living up to a comic book character. Makes sense. Um, and the last thing I kind of want to talk about the creation of the show was the uh, production and filming. And particularly, I, I know we mentioned this, I mentioned this to you right before we started recording, but there was not a ton about the production of this show. Uh, all it said was that production began in March of 2012 um, and it takes place or it's set in, uh, or not set, but it, it's, it's, produ- it's produced in Vancouver, um, which became the primary filming location. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actual thing that I found interesting was that the skyline shots is a is a bunch of random shots, um, or not random shots, but footage from various cities around the world, which include Frankfurt, Germany, uh, Center City of Philadelphia, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, Back Bay in Boston, and uh, Tokyo, Japan. Wow, that's crazy. So, um, I think part of that is because uh, in like in a lot of DC shows or DC. Uh, comic books you don't have um uh, individuals living in uh real cities you have them living in uh fictional cities so in this case starling city uh would be one of those fictional cities and so i think if you spent all of if you used all of the footage from a from one city it would be fairly obviously that city so they try to make it different by filming um from multiple different cities or using footage from multiple cities um, unlike the, unlike uh, what the Dark Knight did with Gotham, which is solely Chicago and very obviously Chicago, isn't it Chicago and New York though? I thought it was. That's Metropolis. Wait, Metropolis is Chicago and New York. I thought Gotham was always a... is mostly New York. When it when it comes to hmm. filming, okay. I believe I, I'm not an expert on that stuff. Mm. I'm only an expert mm-hmm. on Arrow now. <laughs> Got you. Makes sense. Uh. You know, I find it interesting, though, the difference between DC and Marvel for that reason, because like most Marvel things take place in real cities. Oh, yeah. Right? Like they, most of them take place in New York or pretty wherever. much all of them. I think, yeah, I was just going to say <laughs> most of them. And then I was like, 
think no, I mean, there's definitely other other. Um, there there are definitely some cities that are referenced. I mean, they you get references right in uh, in in the in the DC comics to big cities like New York and um, yeah. LA and like more more specifically, usually with like boroughs like Hollywood. Yeah, but but they're still all fi- they all still take place in fictional cities. Right, exactly. They usually take place like they'll reference those c- cities, but they never actually go there. Right. Yeah. Like it's exactly. all it's all when they're in a city, it's a fictional city. Yeah, exactly. Um, like Starling City, Central City, Metropolis, Gotham, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I want, or not the last thing I want to talk about, but um, the next thing I want to talk about was uh, the reception of the show um, and how it was uh, received. Uh, the ratings were really high, actually. The premiere episode drew uh, a whopping 4.14 million viewers. Wow. Um, and so it became, or it made, which made it the CW's most watched telecast of any show on any night in three years, as well Jeez. as the CW's most watched series premiere since The Vampire Diaries in 2009. That's crazy. Yeah. No so, wonder it sparked an entire verse. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, so, it'd be, I mean, it was, it was so popular. And like um, the critics, uh, like it received pretty favorable reviews around the board. Um, there was one critic that uh, praised the start as being lively and better than hardcore Green Arrow fans expected, which mm. is which is pretty big. I mean, That's if you're a, a hardcore compliment. Green Arrow fan, you're going to be super critical of an episode yeah. of the show. So For sure. That's um, a huge and then, compliment. And then a, another critic characterized the pilot as, and I think this is like one of the mo- like best descriptions of the show, uh, as a Dark Knight version of the Green Arrow character. Which is like so true. I mean, like uh, Oliver Queen in Arrow is so is very similar to how um, Bruce Wayne is in uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like very brooding. Whereas in the past, um, Batman had been uh, a little bit more of a lively character, not so much of the um, dark brooding character. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, Michael Keaton. Come on. Well, yeah. I mean. Uh, the Tim Burton Batman for sure, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, I mean the Dark Knight trilogy as well. The Christopher Nolan films, um, very very much a brooding, uh, hardcore vigilante style. Oh, what are you talking about? He's not brooding at all in those movies. <laughs> Come on! Come on! Yeah! yeah. Come on, <laughs> um, uh, last thing about that is that the uh, the pilot uh, actually won a few Leo awards. It won Best Cinematography in Dramatic Series, mm. Best Production Design in a Dramatic Series, and Best Stunt Coordination in Dramatic Series. What's a Leo Award? I don't know. You didn't? Okay. It's worth mentioning, right? <laughs> Maybe. What if it's just some guy named Leo who gives out awards and it's just on a website? Hey, you know what? That's and still he's just the going best like, cinematography in Dramatic best Series in- by that guy, Leo. <laughs> so that's still pretty good, right? That's an award. Oh, God. Sure. Um, something that I've been doing in recent episodes is talking about the future of these shows. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, I did want to talk about where or what Arrow would go on to b- do or become. Uh, like we already mentioned, it aired for eight seasons in total with its final episode airing in January of 2020. Um, and it sparked the conglomerate of CW shows that would become known by fans as the Arrowverse. Um, and so uh, 
Although following the end of Arrow, uh, fans wondered if it was a proper name, if the name still fit. <clears throat> and actually, Stephen Amell tweeted out uh, following the end. He said, it was never the Arrowverse <clears throat> because it wouldn't exist without Greg Berlanti. And so he called it the Berlantiverse, which uh, was nice, but also untrue. But also um, I inaccurate. I mean, not untrue. But, but inaccurate. It's still it the Arrowverse because... <clears throat> Yeah, he's the creator, but it's not uh, whatever. But that was it, he just, just he just wanted to give I credit. I get that. To it's like him being Greg nice, Greg. but let's be realistic. Like it's the, it's the Arrowverse because it's in relation to the comics. Greg Berlanti didn't create the comics, so like right. But he did create the Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Batwoman, and the upcoming Superman and Lois series. And he's like the well Shonda as- Rhimes for DC Comics. Kind of. And he also worked on Supergirl, which would eventually come over to the CW and be produced under Berlanti Productions. Um, And so uh, that is now the conglomerate of six currently running shows under his name. It's impressive. Um, Which is, I mean, that's that's just amazing. I think he holds the record now for the most uh, concurrent shows on air. I believe at like that. nine at one point in, That's I think crazy. it, I think it was in 20 in the 2018, 2019, um, like season. It's like the Kevin he Feige. He had nine on, he had nine on air at one time, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. That's um, impressive. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, the Arrowverse is like, in a lot of ways, very similar to the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, with the start of uh, the MCU coming with Iron Man, um, the uh, the Arrow, uh, Arrow rather, um, kind of sparked a, a huge a huge movement for these uh, DC heroes uh, in this huge variety of shows, and they even had their own endgame style huge crossover that is a huge crossover which came out last year and it was done i mean really well Mm -hmm. and uh i mean it was it was a huge thing and like it was a great way for the show arrow to be because that was kind of the the ending point for the show arrow Mm -hmm. and similar to iron man um in uh endgame you know it's so uh kind of a really good way of thinking about it as far as uh what is arrow to the arrowverse that iron man is to the mcu yeah so yeah um i I know i've i know i uh this isn't a podcast about greg berlanti specifically are you sure it's starting to feel like it's a podcast about greg berlanti (laughs) it might maybe maybe someday maybe someday i just wanted to say that um the uh like he would like like even like I know I've already mentioned this, but he would go on to like create even more, um, like do do even more firsts for the LGBTQ community, um, as far as uh, uh, like casting roles and characters in his show. I mean, he had the first uh, uh, transgender woman uh, cast into a transgender superhero role oh. in Supergirl. Okay. Which uh, but that was really cool. That is cool. Um, but yeah, I think it. I think it goes. I think it's worth mentioning that Greg Berlanti is in fact um, uh, publicly out. He's gay. Oh, okay. And he's married. 
um, to a soccer player, I believe. That's yeah, that's cool. To a soccer player, oh. yeah, and they have two kids. Wow, that's cool. That so, yeah. yeah, that's just yeah, that's impressive. Just to like start to be a showrunner by the time you're 28 is just crazy to me, and then to go on to accomplish all the things that he has and is still accomplishing is is very impressive. Mm-hmm. It's a very impressive. Uh, well, and and one of the things that I love that um all these uh all these like DC shows does is that and like I obviously I don't want to get like super political but as far as the shows go they do a really good job of implementing like diversity just within like their um just within the characters mm-hmm. in the show which in and it's it's nice because in in a lot of cases in the past, uh, more specifically with stuff that I've seen on Netflix, like Netflix originals, mm-hmm. is it just it feels like it's pushing it a lot and like it's forcing it into the show where it doesn't technically need to be or it doesn't feel um, like uh, it doesn't feel like it flows properly. Like it yeah. just feels like they're forcing it for just for the sake of like having a diverse cast in that sense. But in the CWDC shows, I think they do it really well. And it's never, um, like, sometimes it's, it, sometimes they do a good job of, like, making, like, like having, um, like, those tough conversations about uh, current political environment stuff. Yeah. And, some, and, like, that's just sometimes, that's what, just what shows have to do. And I think, it, I think they do a great job of uh, doing that without, without it feeling like they're pushing any kind of agenda. You know, it's just natural. It just comes naturally in the show. Yeah. In the show, all of them. So, yeah. And, and I, I mean, like I feel like where- that's, I feel like that's something that's easier to do with superhero shows, right? Like, um, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like, like he had, he, like he's got it easier because he's doing it with a superhero show. I'm you not know? saying it's easier, but. Well, I guess I did say it is, but I was gonna say that's exactly what you said almost. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I by easier I mean that it's like they're already do the show is already in it of itself in a way political because of what a superhero is, right? Right. Like, I mean, so like what it'd be like saying the... like you're not making it political, but it's like saying Aaron Sorkin wasn't making West Wing political, like. It takes place in the White House. It's gonna naturally be political, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like exactly with superheroes, I mean, no matter what. Like you, easier is maybe not the appropriate word, but it's natural that there are gonna be political things within that kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I guess I wasn't really trying to make it seem um, political, but more just about uh, like just the L- LGBTQ community. Yeah, no, in I know, particular. I know. I know what you mean. I'm just saying that that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, uh, I'm ready to move on to superlatives. That's pretty much all I had to say. Dum dum, give me gum gum. All right, superlatives. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, you know, I, 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 every time we call them the best and worst characters, but like at this point, like I'm starting to feel like it's more like favorite character and least favorite character. Yeah. You know what fair. I mean? Mm-hmm. And for me, my favorite character in that pilot episode is John Diggle, the bodyguard. That's fair. I had an in-between of uh, Oliver and him. I really liked Oliver, even though he's, like, kind of shady or whatever. Like, past Oliver, who's, like, a little bit douchey. Not so much my fave, but, like, I like him once he's, like, back and he's like, no one can know my secret. <laughs> Breaks the guy's neck. Oh, yeah. 
I, I mean, one of the things that um, that I think that I don't like about this pilot episode, and more specifically this pilot season, mm-hmm. is that it feels like it takes a while to get to the superheroing part, you know? Um, like, a lot of the show is based around the uh, the drama between, like, the relationships on the show. Yeah. That's you know true. what I mean? I mean, I don't and, know for the rest of the season, but for the pilot episode, yeah, yeah I get that. But but from my perspective, from watching the season, and, and I mean, even in the pilot episode, I just... Obviously, there's got to be backstory and background, and the, we want to build the characters. We want to have the character development, but it's just it's one of those things where it's like this is a show about superheroes. So I kind of want to watch the show about superheroes, not the show about this guy and his I love mean, triangle between his best friend and his ex. You know? Yeah, yeah, true. That's true. The the best friend is that the chick that he? No, I'm talking, I'm talking about the best friend Tommy. Oh, okay, got it, Tommy. Got and it. Then his oh, ex, yeah, yeah, I got it. Laurel. And then his ex, and then he was with the ex's sister, right? Who dies on the boat or whatever. Yes, is that correct. Okay. Yes, that gotcha. is correct. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, it's weird because it's like I get it, but it's also a CW show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's no, just know. like that's just I something know. that like as a CW show, I just expect that shit to happen to be like a primary focus in a way but it's also he's a vigilante right so it's like i get that it's there's this weird thing that comes with like the superhero concept and then the vigilante superhero right like there's the superhero who's like superheroes are usually seen in a light of um, there's like superman who's a superhero to people and then there's the right. arrow like a, who's like a vigilante. A hope, you know, like that's what that's what a superhero brings in most of those cases. And yeah. usually when they're referred to as a vigilante, they're I mean, and that's what you know, it's, darkness. It, it's a little bit more um it's it's not as one sided, right? Yeah. Like like uh it's it's much more focused on vigilante versus cops. You yeah. know, it's like the vigilante is seen in the eyes by some of the by the public as as a hero, he's taking down um like threats to the community whereas in the cop's eyes he's a criminal and mm-hmm. like while the cops want the community to be better as well they also don't want it to be better due to vigilantism so yeah exactly there's so i feel like that comes vigilantism. with that there's that's a good word <laughs> good word good word good word uh that um, said but yeah my least favorite character in this episode is detective lance yeah. Oh no, I because don't. Because he keeps bringing in these personal matters yeah. into these. It's like, his, did you even care about matters. my daughter? And I'm like, bro, this is you like, can't. I'm sorry. You're like trying to accuse like, him. Be of- mad. Be mad at the man, Oliver Queen, as father to the guy that he cheated on one daughter with with your other daughter. Like, and then your daughter. I died. get that. I get that. You know, like I totally get the anger there. But you're but a detective, sir. <laughs> but you're a detective, my good sir. Like you need to fucking separate church and state in this scenario. Yeah, no, he that. he annoys me. He even annoys me. Like I know I remember him in like later stuff too, and he annoys me in later stuff. So he he has a really good redemption arc though. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. I'm just saying. I just like <laughs> put that out there. 
No, I know. He's one of those necessary evils. Yeah. Um, oh, 100%. But it so. is also one of those things where it's like, I'm sorry. I don't care how grieving you are. Then you shouldn't be on this case, sir. Yeah, like, exactly. He's way too you, involved emotionally. Who put you on this case? What? Who is your superior <laughs> that was like, yeah, we're going to put the guy uh, whose daughter died to the hands of the man that he's now investigating? Well, like, to be fair... He's not he doesn't he's not necessarily investigating Oliver Queen. He's investigating True. a guy in a green hood that nobody knows is Oliver Queen. True. So why he was put on the why he was put on the but, case makes sense. He's the head no, detective but why, of Starling PD. Yeah, but he was put on Oliver Queen's abduction case. Why is he put on that? Yeah, that that one he that shouldn't one be put on the bit, abduction case at all. Like yeah. But anyway, that one I wonder based on like past um interaction with the family i wonder if they might have uh sent their head detective solely because the queen family was involved trusted him you know yeah. like they're the they're the biggest family in starling city like yeah but it's also like for you know, that like, reason you should like, have, have someone with this family and like we yeah, got but... so we got to send our best but yeah but he's not the best in that scenario because yeah. the fucking son of that family in his eyes murdered his daughter so yeah. <laughs> that's not a good choice you're right. I mean, it's just overall, he should do a better job of keeping his emotions out of out of being a detective. Oh, 100%. You know? But again, it's a CW um, show. Yeah. And it's a but show it's a in general. Exactly. It's a CW <laughs> show. It's a TV show. All right. Good Noodle Stars? No, my favorite part. Oh, favorite part. Fuck. Th- uh, and least favorite part, which we added last episode. Sorry. Um, my favorite part was, uh, I, think it's, I think it's when... Um, uh, when Diggle catches Oliver leaving the party, and like he, like Oliver thinks he's gotten away with it, and then Diggs like, uh, "Where are you going? Where are you going, bud? Hey, yeah. Uh, parties that way. He's like, yeah. oh, doors locked. <laughs> Even though it's obviously a pull, he tries to push it. Yeah, a hundred percent. My favorite part is when he's been abducted, and he's like, "What'd your father tell you?" And he's like, "To kill you." And then he's like. Haha, <laughs> you're in zip ties, bitch. And he's like, am I? And like, fucks him up. I like, like oh my part. God. He's a magician. He, he's a magician. He does have superpowers. No, like, it's super <laughs> fucking cheesy, but it's also just like the first time you're going to see him in action outside of the like mm-hmm. montage shit that we've seen prior to that. Did and we I see montage like shit prior to that? I thought we did. Maybe it came I after. I thought the montage came after that. It might come after. I'm sorry. It might have come after. Um, I don't but know. yeah, either way, no, I do like that part. I like I the, like um, part. uh, although that scene does lead up to my least favorite part, mm. which is, uh, just like when he's getting shot at through the plastic <laughs> That's so and true. he just doesn't get hit at all. Like, yeah. like, come on. Like come they're, on. they're You're literally usually, like five feet from each other. Yeah. I'm usually pretty good shot. about, um, like figuring, like like reasoning a way around it you know like understanding yeah. like yeah there's there's ob- like obviously it looks like he should have been hit but there's there's these reasons why he couldn't have been hit or like mm-hmm. you know why there's why there's at some least one bullet should have thing there but but like right well especially because later in the episode he gets shot by like a new, another dude and it's very obvious and it's obviously for the plot but um yeah but like in in the sense that the uh in the sense that he's getting shot at and the only thing he has to protect him are those like plastic um 
dividers for mm. going into the factory and he manages to like and you can see the the bullets deflect off of the plastic dividers as though they're bulletproof and then he jumps up and gets away and he doesn't have a shot on him yeah but that no, that weird. like when that stuff happens i'm a, i'm usually like all right that's just come on yeah that's fair that's fair. but um but yeah so so that's my that's my least favorite part it doesn't really have anything to do with the characters just more about that the uh, realism yeah. there yeah that's fair uh i think my least favorite part i i struggled with this one because it was a kind of in between of when he like is talking to the ex-girlfriend for the first time it just bugs me because i'm like okay like it's not his fault the fucking ship crashed and, and her attitude towards all that but kind of bugs me granted i know there's more like behind that obviously but I'm like, it still bugs me. It's like, it's been five years, girl, like calm down. But the other part that like, and it's kind of like both due to the emotions of these families is when the detective goes to the club party thing and is like trying to call him out in the middle of all these people. And you're just like, to me, I'm just like, where's the professionalism, sir? Like no. you're in a group of people. Like if you want to, you can rightfully bring him in. You can bring him in for questioning and hold him for a certain amount of time legally do that be a professional but like he like i understand he's like all whatever the detective guy but it's like that part just bugs me because i'm like in what world would you as a detective go there and do that in the front of all these people in a club yeah it's it's very much um like you said unprofessional yeah and that just kind of but i think it's like the combination of like those i'm like it's been five years people five he's also coming back from being abandoned that'd be like if in fucking castaway you know like people just shit all over tom hanks because everybody else like of all the families of all the people that died in the plane crash it's like fuck you man like, you yeah suck. it's like they're feeling survivor's guilt for him you know yeah like you like, should feel guilty because you're the only one that survived yeah and it's like so. okay it's just like it's been five years can we just like the mm -hmm. only one who has like a right like i feel like the rightful feelings that they have in this entire episode is the sister and she's like no i went to your funeral you were dead you're this isn't like you were when he like tells her like i was on leave or i was gone oh, like, yeah, like when i was away he says yeah, she's like you weren't away you were dead you were dead for five years and then you yeah. like that is the only that's like the one time where i'm like watching it. i'm like see her her feelings i get because yeah, she, she went does to a her really brother's good job. father's funeral the girl who plays thea does a really good job yeah I would have never remembered the sister's name. I just remembered it was sister's I don't name. even know if they mention it that much, although they do call her Speedy a lot. Yeah, Speedy. Um, so, yeah. Good uh, noodle stars? With, yeah, with all that said, I think I give this pilot four out of seven good noodle stars, wow. like right in the middle. Yeah. Because I I, I just think there's there's a lot of uh, what what I would call plot armor in this pilot. Ooh, plot armor. Mm. Um, for him and uh, a lot of just, uh, and obviously it's it's a show. Like plot armor just exists because it has to, right? Like that's yep. just how shows have to work. There, there's just there's just some some cases where I feel like, and and then also on top of that, I just feel like there's uh, a little bit too much of the the um, the drama between relationships. Yeah, for a superhero show. Yeah, that's which fair. I think is why it was harder for me to get into this show initially, because mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but um, I tried watching this show before I watched The Flash uh, without realizing they were connected in any way. 
and then I watched The Flash, and then I went back and watched Arrow, um, or watched Arrow, and uh, and I, I kind of felt like I had to force my way a little bit through the first season, and after mm-hmm. that, I feel like it gets a lot better, but uh, it certainly does... Uh, like, I think The Flash did a better job of getting to the superheroing stuff a lot earlier Yeah. than Arrow did. And so there was a lot less of the uh, relationship drama that came with Arrow. And maybe that's just a, I mean, Arrow came out two years earlier, so maybe they had figured it out by then. So, Yeah, that, yeah, true. Um, Yeah, I was kind of teetering around a four and five. Maybe not necessarily for, I guess, yeah, in the back of my head, I didn't realize the relationships are what kind of bugged me like until we started talking about this when I first watched it I didn't think that's what bugged me about the episode and that's I was like in my mind I was like I don't know why I haven't watched the show because I feel like I could enjoy it but also yeah those relationships and like the just the mush of like the CW-ness of it honestly is the best way to word that for me (laughs) in my mind the CW-ness of the show is what kind of deters me from wanting to watch it in that like after watching like the pilot and even having seen like later episodes and stuff it's just like yeah because even still they still just have those like moments in later seasons too so i would say yeah like a four or five Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah cool cool <laughs> moving on well we, we should move on to uh your show now my dearest chase what do yes. you know what do you know about Daredevil, the TV show? Um, I mean, I know a little bit. I do know that uh, there was a movie before the show that starred Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. That is. Um, I know that the character is a is blind, blind vigilante, and that he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure about this, but I'm pretty sure. But isn't the show not necessarily a part of the MCU? That is incorrect. It is like. Oh. They reference they reference stuff from the MCU. Gotcha. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I and also know the that pilot episode they reference it. I didn't really know what they were referencing. They, didn't, they were they referencing didn't New York. Outright. Well, I, 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 I kind of figured that, but I didn't know specifically that that's what they were referencing because they don't outright say it. That's fair, but yeah, the all the shows. I, I mean, I'll get into this, but yeah, it yeah. Um, uh, I also know that it had a similar conglomerate of shows. Um, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. But yeah, that's it. Cool. All right. Well, awesome. Um, I, for the first time, have a... Well, not first time. Just, I get to have a... Okay. The title... <laughs> say that it's not the pi- It's not called Pilot, is what I was going to say. <laughs> the title of the episode is called Into the Ring. It released on April 10th, 2015, and it was on Netflix, so it was the entire season released on uh, April 10th. Um, where can you watch it? Netflix with a subscription. So it's a Netflix show currently. That's the only place you can watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you could find it illegally, but we don't condone that here. No. Uh, and then not. the creator's name is Drew Goddard. So a serious synopsis, yeah, serious synopsis is a blind lawyer by day, a vigilante by night. Matt Murdock fights the crime of New York as Daredevil. And then a synopsis of the episode is Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson open their law firm and take the case of a woman accused of murder who Matt believes is innocent. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So into the, cre- <laughs> into the creator's history a bit. I just read that and it felt like that was how that would go. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. 
I know, I'm the worst. All right. So, the creator, Drew Goddard, was raised in Los Alamos, New Mexico. He attended Los Alamos High School in Los Alamos, New Mexico, naturally. And he graduated, naturally. naturally, And he graduated in 1993. He then attended the University of Colorado, which uh, I found interesting since I am indeed from Colorado. And you went to their (laughs) rival school, CSU, Colorado State University, which is why Chase is booing everybody, because he's a sourpuss. Anyway, uh, after he graduated from the University of Colorado, he went out to Los Angeles and worked as a production assistant. Not long after that, he ended up writing a spec script based on the movie Six Feet Under, which then came to the attention of both Marty Noxon at Buffy the Vampire Slayer and David Greenwald at Angel. Um, Both of them really wanted him, but because Marty found him first, Joss Whedon determined that Drew should go to the show Buffy, which I believe Josh Whedon created Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so he was, he was biased. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I really want to double check this before I just lie about something like this. Buffy the no, Vampire Slayer. Lying, lying is what we do. You know, lying is the it's best. Life. Yeah. Josh Whedon created it. So that's, yeah, that makes sense. Which is like Josh Whedon. Now, obviously a lot of people know him for other stuff, but yeah. Like um, um, uh, Justice League. Josh Whedon did Justice League? Didn't he take over after Zack Snyder got cut? Did he? Pretty sure he did. Now I'm the one well, lying. I mean, okay, well, here's the thing. One thing that, like, how he kind of relates into a lot of this, especially the fact that we're doing Daredevil and Daredevil's a Marvel character. Josh Whedon did Avengers, so. He did do Justice League, though. Okay, And, cool. and the Avengers. Yes, so there you go. Anyway, so... Josh Whedon determined that he would go to Buffy. He was the creator. Martin found him first, who was at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and nobody was going to argue with Josh Whedon. Um, (laughs) So uh, Goddard became a staff writer for season seven, which was from 2002 to 2003, and he wrote five episodes. Then once Buffy was over, uh, Goddard moved over to Angel, which was the other show that a guy found him, David Greenwald was a part of angel and that show was still running. So he moved over to angel and became the executive story editor for season five, which was 2003 to 2004. Yeah. So he moved up kind of similar to the creator of your show. He moved up pretty fast as well. And then in 2013, big jump of time. This is like 10 years later. um, He didn't didn't do anything for 10 years. He did stuff, but like it's not enough like crazy fun yeah it's not enough crazy fun information that's worth mentioning um in my opinion so jump to 2013 he has this relationship with joss whedon joss whedon has a relationship with marvel marvel basically is you know they have faith in goddard and they announce him to be the producer and showrunner for the new series for the new show that they're going to make daredevil um, which is going to be produced by Netflix, or sorry, it's going to be produced by Marvel and broadcast on Netflix in 2015. Um, Sony Pictures at the same time would also announce that Goddard would write and direct a film based on the Sinister Six, which is a group of um, supervillains appearing in the Spider-Man comic books um, all throughout. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've heard of them. yeah, so the Sinister Six, he got this, you know deal to write and direct this movie which then eventually becomes canceled which is interesting because he actually ends up and the reason you talked about um the night is because goddard ends up 
not turning down, but passing on the torch of being the showrunner and and uh, main producer of Daredevil to make this movie, Sinister Six, that oh, ends up okay. getting canceled. So he kind of gets screwed in a way because he, he leaves so that he can do this movie in his mind for Sony. It gets canceled, but he's already left the show. And now Stephen Estenite Knight is going to be the new showrunner and, yeah. and producer. So it's just an interesting, it, it really sucks for him. He gets really kind of screwed over in this scenario, which it's like, that's kind of the film industry. Sometimes things just don't get made. You can all of a sudden go from having two amazing, crazy, good projects to having nothing. And it's, it's for anybody who doesn't know much about like show running, you cannot possibly be a showrunner and write and direct a movie at the same time. Yeah. It's just, it's just not possible. You have to pick one or the other. And he chose the movie, and unfortunately, the movie folded and was never made. So that's really unfortunate. But that was in mm-hmm. May of 2014. So the show was supposed to come out in 2015. 2000, December of 2013, he was announced to make the show. Then in May of 2014, he withdrew from being the showrunner, from showrunning duties on Daredevil, and the showrunner job passed to his fellow Buffy the Vampire Slayer writer by the name of Stephen DeKnight which is who you mentioned earlier. And then, gotcha. yeah. So I think that's, and that's kind of cool how those two cross over. Yeah. Yeah. So then in February of 2015, after the deal between Marvel um, and Sony, sorry, between the deal, geez, Louise, I'm going to really say that. <clears throat> <laughs> in February, 2015, after the deal between Marvel and Sony to share rights of Spider-Man was announced, is reported that Goddard was in talks with Sony to then helm the Spider-Man reboot. So he's got a movie offer from Sony to write and direct. Movie never gets made. Then in 2015, because Marvel joined forces with Sony, they talked about him creating, him doing the Spider-Man reboot, writing and directing it, right? Mm-hmm. And then he ends up not getting it. And it's later announced that John Watts would be the director of it. So he really just like gets like real highs and lows. This is a a rough like one and a half years for this dude that like end of of 2013 is looking up for him. And then it just kind of all goes to shit, which is really unfortunate in general. But honestly, there's not like a whole, and this is where I kind of messed up. I didn't do a lot of research on Steven S. tonight because it's just in my mind, he didn't create the show, so I didn't think of doing research on him. I should have done research on him, but so, I didn't. So the, um, I've already forgot his name. Goddard. Um, Goddard. He he never came back to Daredevil at all. No. Um, oh, okay. if, I, if I'm not mistaken, no, he, he fully left the show. Gotcha. Um, he obviously, he had done enough development that that's why he's called, he is the, uh, creator of it still because he did enough of the development and creation of the show that you can't take that away from him but he he did a lot of producing after that like he produced for the good place uh, sorry he was a still he was still considered an executive producer on daredevil so i don't know how much he did for them after that he was still considered a producer but that's kind of he was supposed to write and direct the pilot episode and he never ended up doing that because he obviously left mm. the show um so yeah, I don't even think. So who who so who wrote the uh, pilot episode? Uh, the pilot episode was written by. I mean, there's multiple people that they credit, yeah. right? Gotcha. Um, 
Oh, you know what? No, I'm sorry. I'm incorrect. He did write the pilot episode. He just didn't direct oh, okay. it. He okay, did write. Gotcha. He did write the pilot episode. He just didn't direct it. Um, but again, those shows are all released in one bulk, so that might have been why the thing I read was that way. Yeah, yeah, and this is the first time we've done a Netflix original series, so it is interesting because um, Netflix, unlike most other uh, show the, producers, yeah. show runners. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, stations or whatever, whatever you want to call them. Um, I don't, I don't they, know they what word you're looking season. for right now. I was just saying that yeah. they, they release entire seasons at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this is the first time we've done anything on a, a series from Netflix where the entire season was released. And we're only talking about a single episode, Yeah, the first episode, but really the whole show was done prior to or the whole season was done prior to any releasing and um, any uh, any sort of information that was um, seen by the consumers. Yeah. When he so because I'm trash and didn't look into that as the whole season, he wrote the first two episodes of the show, but he never directed it. And then he was still an executive producer on the show. Um, but he did he did go on to like produce a lot of big stuff. Um, he's credited. So the interesting thing is, is like, he's credited as being a writer on like a bulk of daredevil, but it's all, all of the credits that I'm looking at on IMDb are labeling him as a creator, not a writer. So it Hmm. still looks like the only two episodes he actually wrote were the first two episodes. And then after that, he has these creator credits, which maybe that gives you a writer credit because of that. I don't really know how that works as far as like IMDb. IMDb does their credits really weird, honestly. If I'm, yeah, I was gonna say if I'm being completely honest, but I, I just <laughs> said honestly. So, yeah, but he went on to do other stuff. Like as much as it sucked, that 2013 to 2015 time sucked for him. He did go on to do other stuff. He directed some good yeah. plays. He directed Bad Times at the El, El Royale and and some other stuff. So, yeah, but again, like I said, I didn't do any research on Steven tonight because I'm trash and uh, I probably should have done some <laughs> research on him and I fucked up. And well, I luckily didn't. for you, I did some research on, no, I didn't do any research. The only reason I did on Steven tonight was that he was originally supposed to do the green arrow series. Yeah. See there, he was originally supposed to do the green arrow series and then he went on to be the so show. He obviously had some experience with superhero shows. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it also, I think this concept is he was also on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think a lot of this probably goes through Josh Sweden, if I'm being like totally blunt about it. it. Is it, if I'm being totally blunt about it, like it's just like he also worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Josh Sweden was the showrunner of that. Josh Sweden directed the Avengers, and that kind of is the connection I feel like all of them are getting to at least have credible backgrounds, backgrounds to, for Marvel. To like hive for them to hire yeah. them, right so yeah no that's fair um so should we get back to daredevil instead of just uh yeah that's uh let's this do guy that. who may or may not have actually been the creator on daredevil i mean he was still the creator of daredevil but here's the thing is like you were able to find a lot of stuff about like the development and creation of it it's like the biggest thing is is netflix and marvel had this deal to create the the shows all the Marvel shows that were all on Netflix, which are Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Daredevil, 
those were all in the same deal with Marvel and Netflix. They all came, I think they came out at different times, but they were all in one original deal that mm, they were going to create these shows with Netflix, regardless yeah. of when they were going to come out and, and that kind of thing. They were all in one original deal with Netflix. So that's why for me on my side, like how they came up with the idea is less interesting so Daredevil in general began the first time the character of Daredevil appeared was in the comic book Daredevil number one in April of 1964. His early days of who he was, who the character is, has never has not really changed much in general. Um, he's always been a blind kid. He's always become blind somehow um, in the way the normal way that it's like in his creation of his character is that he gets which you see in the pilot episode is he gets in an accident where there's a radioactive material that makes him blind, but then it heightens all of his other sen senses. Mm -hmm. And then his dad has always been a boxer who gets killed by not wanting to fix a fight and that kind of thing, which then the first time you see him in live action is in the movie that you mentioned with Ben Affleck. And they do, they do a full like origin story with that. Um, but then the next time we ever see him is as a live action is this show, mm -hmm. which it does in, in a small way, it's very small ways intertwine with the MC, MCU um, in general. So it doesn't seem like it does, but there's like the, the weird thing to me is like they do technically intertwine with those, but it's not enough that you're like, why wouldn't they just bring him into the Avengers kind of thing? Like, why is no one talking about this? You know what I mean? This, like when you have yeah. two, so many New York fucking superheroes, it seems weird that you would have it intertwined so much with them, but it does. Yeah. Um, the biggest interesting things about the show is that, so when it first came out, the first, the pilot season was really good. Like it got great reviews. People really liked it. No complaints. Second season, same thing. Then the third season, the viewership of the first, like, because like we discussed, they released the whole season. The mm -hmm. viewership that Netflix saw was cut in half of what, in the first week of the show being out, the viewership was cut in half from what it was in season two. Dang. And Daredevil, even within the comics, was never like that popular. It wasn't hugely popular. But like the show was pretty damn popular. But then you also had the other shows like Jessica Jones, which was very popular. Iron Fist, which was less popular. And Luke, Luke Cage, which was very popular. Um, But the biggest reason that they talk about the show getting canceled in general, and it's a, it came to a shock to everyone, but every single Marvel show on Netflix got canceled at the same time. Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Daredevil all got canceled at the same time. Was and a the lot Punisher of not included in all that? The Punisher was not included in that. Not, gotcha. in, the, not in any of the stuff I read. Um, yeah, that's kind of interesting that it wasn't. But uh, I don't know if it came out at a different time. I don't know anything really about the Punisher. But in all the articles and, and stuff I read, it was just these four shows that were the big. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about the Punisher either. I do know that it came out. Um, I, I mean, I know that it's a Marvel like uh he's kind of like an anti-hero mm -hmm. uh, but uh I, I don't know how much it connects with those other uh netflix marvel shows yeah i i don't know i don't i would assume not because it wasn't even mentioned with these shows um when i was doing the research so 
I don't have information on that, unfortunately. Um, anyway, so a lot of people speculated the cancellation of Daredevil came from the fact that Disney Plus was coming out, which was also why the other shows were all canceled because they were like, oh, they're going to come on to Disney Plus. And that wasn't the case. Disney and Marvel never had any intention on ending their contracts with Netflix. But Netflix, the assumption is the Netflix ended it due to the lack of viewership and overall costliness of the shows. Mm-hmm. So for Daredevil in particular, they spent $200 million on it in just over three wow. in just a, Yeah, just over three years of making the show. That's a lot. That's a lot of money for a show. For a TV show, yeah. For a TV show, especially on a platform that doesn't get ad revenue or anything like that. So it's like... Well, on a platform that doesn't get, like, viewership revenue either. Yeah, exactly. You know, like... like they get s- subscription revenue and that's it. I don't know. It's, it, I just found it really interesting. And that's where it's like my information is so different from yours because I have way less about the creation of the show because there's just, like, not, everything I looked up about the you know production of the show this and that it's just none of it came up about like the actual production of the show it talks every article that ends up coming up is either about goddard leaving or the cancellation of the show so it's kind of weird um and i don't i I don't know it's just one of those shows where it's like i couldn't find anything about the actual production there was nothing really about the casting like it, it was very marvelly of them to not really care about like not provide much information on that stuff because you know when you're coming from something that's so big like marvel and it's not a first of its kind right it's not like arrow it's not a first of its kind like you have all of these things already like you have all these movies already that are very successful that are backing this stuff there's just not much Mm -hmm. like they didn't have struggles coming up with it like the obstacles of this show were what ended up being the cancellation of it. And that's kind of it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate, but that's really all I have about the show. You know, I'll see it. That's fine. Yeah. Other shows that came out during this time, during this year in 2015 were Gallivant, uh, Agent Carter, which is another Marvel thing, Empire, Mm -hmm. Better Call Saul, Last Man on Earth. But all of these were on, on networks. So they didn't come out as full seasons. Right. Yeah. I mean, that um, is interesting. It does two superlatives. It does. Right? It does. Yes. Um, For me personally, the best character, or yeah, best character for me, or my favorite character was uh, Foggy, the friend, the, Agreed. Uh, like the I co, the co-lawyer who's like, he is, he, he the, he's the actor who was in Mighty Ducks and stuff. So it's like, I remember seeing him and being like, oh, that's the dude from Mighty Ducks. He's the actor in Mighty Ducks? Well, he's not the main actor in Mighty Ducks, but he's in Mighty Ducks. Who is he in Mighty Ducks? Oh, God, I can't remember. Hang on. Oh, he's Fulton. Who he's is he Fulton. He's the one who like has the crazy slap shot, isn't he? Isn't oh, Fulton, that's, that's Isn't him? that the Fulton, the one who has the crazy slap shot? I can only find him on the second Mighty Ducks. Oh, sh- you're right. Yeah, I always recognize him. He's got a very recognizable face. I totally didn't even put those two together. Yeah. Eldon Eldon Henson plays Fulton and also plays Foggy. I didn't, I honestly never put those two together. Yeah. But now I'm recognizing him. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah. So he was my favorite for sure. And you said same. Yeah. Same. I love the comic relief. I think, Mm -hmm. I think it's obvious at this point that every time we, uh, every time we pick favorite characters, I'm always picking the comic relief. Yeah, that checks out. 
Um, I I had a very hard time picking a least favorite character. I'm not gonna lie. If I had to pick one, it kind of like you can't even really pick it. I, like part of me is like I want to pick the dad because of like the intro to it is like his son is just I don't understand this, and this is the reason I like somewhat pick the dad is like why is his son just off on his own on the street and like his saving dad's just wandering saving an old man from a car accident and his dad just wanders up and i understand the is. concept is like he, his dad has a lot of brain damage and like that's why it's like he gets like lost but i'm like i just don't under like it just bugs me that this father and that's the thing right it's like that's what kind of comes with the whole daredevil character in general is the, the motivation from his father but like it bugs me so much that like he's a kid saving an old man from something and then his dad just wanders up like, oh, there's my son. I was wondering where you went, kid. I know that's not how he actually reacts, but like other than him, yeah. like I didn't have there's I don't really remember disliking a character in the epi in any of the episodes that uh, any of the episodes in the first episode that much. Yeah, I was not a fan of uh Karen the chick really? Karen Page. I I didn't like the way that she responded to um uh like when they were asking her to like tell tell them the truth mm. and stuff, and she just she just keeps lying. Yeah, that's fair. But it's also like, like the I get reason that doesn't bother from, like, me. She's not sure if she can trust these people quite yet. Yeah, which it's like but, considering her past and like the fact that this person was just murdered and she's being framed for it because she can't trust anyone. That's why it doesn't bother me because I see like it's not an irrational fear. Right, and there's also it's these not two an irrational fear. There are also two lawyers that find like her it. inexplicably as their first client. Like she doesn't know how they even got there. Really, they don't even tell her. They just bribe a cop who then they say tells... they're aggressively searching out clients. Yeah, but clients. that's not a fucking explanation. Not when <laughs> you're not trusting. Anyone. How long have you guys been doing this? Uh, what time is it? Three o'clock. About seven hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. That which brings me to perfectly my favorite. Well, what moment. about the? the well, I'm counting time when we got our desks. Oh yeah, yeah. Seven oh, hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that brings me into the next superlative, which is favorite part, and that was probably like my, my favorite part when they're like finding her and talking in that moment. We're like, what time is it? I just that's love a that good scene. part. I think I my favorite part still is the fight scene at the end. And the way they um, isolate the sounds as, as to kind of show how he's, uh, quote unquote, seeing things mm -hmm. um, to fight. I thought that was done really well. Yeah, I could agree with that. Um, least favorite part? I couldn't really pick one. I couldn't either. I'm not going to lie. I was trying to think about one. I, I mean, like, um, the, the only thing I can think of is that is when she sneaks out of his place to go get the... Uh, thing yeah, because that just seemed like... dumb to me yeah but at the same time it's like a necessary dumb necessary dumb well it's like she needs to go and get that thing because she doesn't know if anybody knows about it and she knows that that's a reason a part of the reason why she's even being chased and like being framed for stuff right, right. and almost being murdered in herself or but her being by herself isn't that the least like yeah, but she's still on this realm of, like, not knowing. Plus, what is she going to do? Tell a blind man that she's going somewhere? She doesn't know he's a superhero. She still doesn't. No, but then, but that to that same extent, why did she have any reason to be afraid in his apartment? But she wasn't, 
What do you mean? Well, that, I mean, that's what you're implying, right? Is that she didn't trust him. But like, no, I'm implying that she's not going to tell him. I'm implying she didn't tell him because she's just going to grab this thing. No need to tell the guy that she doesn't know that well. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the fact that she didn't tell him that she was going to grab it. What I don't like is the fact that she went at all. Again, it makes sense that she went because she doesn't know if they know about the thing that she that they're looking for from her. But wouldn't her best bet still have been to wait to go with somebody? Not if you're freaking out about it. Look, (laughs) that's just what I'm saying. That's fine. You say that. You say that. Then, no. I mean, I, I, I don't really have a least favorite part, honestly. Honestly. Does that mean you gave it a um? Perfect 10 out of 10, 10 out of 7 good noodle stars? No, I didn't. I mean, no, I, I, here's the thing is like this again comes with the concept of I don't think I'll watch this show. It's a good, I like the pilot episode, it's good, but I, I don't have any intention on continuing to further watch this show, which to me reflects that the pilot episode wasn't convincing enough for me to want to keep watching this show, which in my mind then as far as good noodle stars go, like it was good and it was funny, but it wasn't enough that it made me want to keep watching it. In my mind, I would give it more of like a five or four because of that. Yeah. I gave it a four as well. And I, I even teetered on going lower than that to like a three, because I just don't, I I have watched the first season of daredevil and I was not a fan. And I tried to force myself through the second season and I made it about halfway through and I just shouldn't have to force yourself through a show. I'm sorry. You just shouldn't. That's why yeah, I exactly. literally what? never watched the first season of The reason I wanted to Game is because I had a um I had a coworker tell me that like I should give it a tr- a second shot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "All right, I'm, I'm trying." And I thought maybe the second season might be better than the first, but it wasn't. Yeah, no. So, if I can't get through like a first episode and like continue wanting to watch the next episode, it's very unlikely that I'm going to keep watching it. I usually give a show about 3 episode leeway. Personally, if it, if it doesn't catch my attention after three episodes, then I'm usually not watching it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. Yeah. That's I don't know, as far as like doing comparison, I feel like we've really, in this episode, more than a lot of them, I feel like we've really already compared. Yeah, I mean, these. I think what I think the, the most obvious uh, comparison between them is the, the, vigil, the vigilante aspect. Uh, and they both kind of have seen their city. Um, go to shit a little bit be ridden with crime and they want to they want to help that to some extent yeah and i mean yeah it's just they're two vigilante ones you know the biggest difference between them is one's rich and one's not right yeah and one one's blind i guess one's that's the big difference no but i mean we've already like i feel like we can mostly wrap up um well, but they both both shows uh do seem to rely on um the flashbacks quite yeah a bit, that's true which i think is interesting yeah, um, because true. not a ton of shows do that a lot uh, as far as tell two different stories mm-hmm. in that sense. And um, I looked it up a little bit. Uh, or I, I read a little bit about that in Arrow. And that was kind of like the, like every episode was like they had to get Stephen Amell into a wig. And they, they basically told two different stories in every episode. The story mm-hmm. of five years ago on the island and the story of um, the present with what he, what's going on in the uh in the city and what he's doing with the, um, with being the vigilante. And so they, they knew even after the fifth season, knowing that 
the five years is is up, they still used uh, flashbacks from like yeah. other characters to uh, scenes that were sort of like um, off off the scene, like stuff you wouldn't have seen in the in the show, but ex- like still happened kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know as far as like later in Daredevil, but they obviously use it in the pilot episode. So I know they use it in like the pilot season a lot. I don't know how much they use it in the subsequent seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the biggest difference, too, is that one is a show that released on a network and one is one that released full seasons and only lasted three seasons versus eight seasons. And it's created a universe of. But again, it's like one of those things where it's like Marvel already had this universe with Iron Man yeah. and the movies. And this was DC's like every DC movie leading up to even the release of Arrow is like a, as the show is just not they've never lived up to the hype that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has. And Arrow is the right. one thing DC people have. It's just in television instead of movies. Yeah. And, you know, I. I think that, um, and I've said this before, the DC extended universe that is um, the movies that they've been trying to get started worked. Is they've they've tried to go way too quickly to get to where Marvel is at, mm-hmm. but they've had a much later start, and they've been trying to rival Marvel's uh, Marvel's success with these big crossovers. Yeah. Uh, and like it just doesn't work because for one you don't have the backstory that marvel's been able to create you know and like and and two marvel did it first like at this point it's not as exciting for yeah. the dc uh well, for it's fans like the, of DC. the one thing dc movies has that's better is wonder woman the first one and then they kind of shit it shat on it with the second one yeah. so it's just like well and aquaman was just a replay of uh, Black Panther. So, yeah, literally, <laughs> with a brother who's but, the eight. Oh God, there's so many things. Ugh, you can't. But can read. you imagine if if DC had taken the time to set up backstories in, in their movies, mm-hmm. right? Similar to how Marvel started with Iron Man. Yeah, like they would be at a point now where they would be releasing their big crossovers within the next couple years. Mm-hmm during a time when Marvel is in their um as at the end of their infinity saga. Yeah. And like they're kind of not resetting, but going back, like taking things down a notch to set up some more build up for another saga, right? Like that's yeah. where Marvel is right now. Yeah, no, they could have totally like DC could have totally DC capitalized had taken on the that. time and been patient, they would yeah. be like, like make a flash movie before you introduce him. He's not Spider Man. Yeah. Like Exactly. You you did freaking Justice League without like without any origin movies before for t- like two of the four people that are in that group. Yeah, so it's it's just three, like three of the four people because fucking the cyber guy also just comes out of you yeah. get the Flash. You like you have to introduce all these people in this in the movie that's a crossover movie of all of them. Cyborg, which is the Flash, Flash Cyborg, Aquaman. and Aquaman, and it's like what? Like, at least Marvel, you get to know every character before then. The only mm-hmm. time that they start to introduce people in a first movie is Civil War. Yeah, when they introduce Black Panther. 
and Spider-Man. Those are their intro movies. Yeah, exactly. And Spider-Man, for sure, nobody really needs an yeah. intro to Spider-Man. There's so many of those. But it's like you have nothing on these other characters that it's just like you're just banking on people knowing the comics and or having watched some of the DC shows. So, yeah, I don't know. But that's, I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference between the two shows in general. If we're going to actually try to wrap this up properly is yeah. that Arrow created an entire universe for DC in television, whereas like Daredevil was just kind of riding on the coattails of the MCU and eventually it just kind of didn't, it fizzled out because of the things we talked about, but I think it's harder for a show to possibly succeed when you're do trying to tell characters that are somewhat a part of that universe that are part of a more successful universe. Whereas like arrow is the OG for this intro into the DC verse. Mm -hmm. I always felt it was flipped. Like, yeah. Like when, when Marvel started doing these Netflix shows, they, uh, they kind of fell flat on their face, similar to how DC fell flat on their face with the movies. movies but yeah, DC exactly. had a great TV show lineup. Marvel yeah. had a great movie lineup. Yep. You know, it's exactly. just reversed. Egg salad. Egg salad. Woo! Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you for taking the time to do so. If you don't currently, follow us on your podcast listening platform of choice. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram as well at Back to the Pilot. As always, if you think of a show that you'd like to hear us cover on this podcast, leave a comment or send us an email at backtothepilot at gmail.com and let us know. Be sure to tune in next time when we cover a couple mystical cartoons with Avatar The Last Airbender and Shaolin Showdown. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll see you next time when we take you back to the pilot. So long. Oh, God, you're just so good at it. You're so good at it. Ah, well done. Well done. Well done. Claps. Claps. Good Claps answer. Good answer.